0: Welcome to 35 West. I'm Juliana Rubio, Associate Director of the Americas Program at CSIS, and today, host of the 35 West Podcast.
1: how professional the Mexican but government... But are we ready? On-term I don't reform think... Reform trends in Argentina. Right. and
0: that's what the happened...
1: Role at all in the NAFTA negotiation.
0: On October 29th, more than 10,000 elected positions, from local councils to departmental governors, went up for election in Colombia. There is also losses for President Petro's Pacto Histórico coalition, which lost races in key cities such as Bogotá, Medellín, and Cali, in addition to several governorships. Going forward, the Petro government will confront a more polarized political landscape, that will require greater collaboration and bridge-building for the president to successfully implement this agenda. Indeed, finding a workable path forward will be essential to ensure the successful implementation of major infrastructure projects, new social and economic strategies, and to pursue a coordinated security policy, all of which are major issues facing Colombia at present. To help us investigate the results of these elections and what they mean for Colombia going forward, we're honored to be joined today by Sergio Guzmán, Director of Colombian Risk Analysis. And in this episode, we will explore some of the most significant races, what issues were at stake, as well as how Petro might adjust his strategy in light of these defeats at the regional level. Thank you for joining us, Sergio, and welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Juliana. It's a pleasure to be at this podcast by CSIS and I look forward to the discussion.
0: Excellent. Let's start by looking at the factors behind the October 29th results. Could you outline for our audience what were the key issues for voters on the 29th? And if there were any surprises? Well, so I want to
1: take a long view of this because it's not just a global anti-incumbent wave that we're facing. We're also facing pandemic-worn governors and mayors because the mayors who are outgoing now were the ones that started out on January 1st, 2020, just two months shy of the first COVID case hitting Colombia. So I think they were worn out by the electorate. The majority of these governments were were alternative or center-center-left. And the economy, the deteriorating security situation, throughout the country and a strong anti-government sentiment were part of the key things that drove people out to the polls. I think if we look at surprises, we have to recognize that in these elections, the petro government and some local governments played a very significant part in trying to Secure a successor. This is the case, for instance, of Carlos Caicedo in Magdalena, Daniel Quintero in Medellin, and of course President Petro in Bogota, who campaigned very actively for the undergrounding of a portion of the Bogota Metro and in favor of Gustavo Olivar his predilect choice for mayor. And so in that sense, it was surprising that despite all this electoral intervention, those candidates all lost save for Carlos Caicedo's candidate in Magdalena, whose election is being disputed right now, they all lost. Other surprises include Alejandro Eder in Cali, who defeated uh, Roberto Ortiz, a candidate aligned with traditional parties, etc. But Eder won because Diana Rojas, who was third in the polls, resigned her candidacy in support of Eder because she didn't want to be seen as an impediment. And so that is the first case of selflessness in Colombian politics that we've seen in a long time. And I, I hope other candidates also take to that. And the most surprising result was Gustavo or not even making second place in Bogotá and Bogotá avoiding a runoff election. So I, I believe that that is because a lot of Bogotanos did not want to face the prospect of uh, Gustavo or being mayor. And so they tried to go with Galán, even though he may not have been the preferred choice for many, because he was the most viable candidate to defeat Gustavo Olivar in an election.
0: Thank you for that broad overview, Sergio. And now let's get a bit deeper. The, As you mentioned, the regional elections touched virtually every corner of the country and at all levels of government. And while You say one trend was clearly a setback for Petro's coalition, which I would say was not surprising. There are also some different local dynamics that demand further analysis. So could you give us an overview of some of the main differences between various regional contexts and which issues were more impactful in certain parts of the country and less so in others?
1: Well, I think one of the least surprising races for anybody was uh, Alejandro Char being elected as mayor of Barranquilla, Char is a well-known quantity in Barranquilla, having served there as mayor twice, but also being a member of the Cambio Radical party, his brother is currently being tried for vote buying in the 2018 elections. And so despite Char sort of having this aura of being a traditional party, these corruption allegations against his family uh, surfacing, he still made off with uh, the election in Barranquilla. So this really obeys sort of local political dynamics where the Char family is king of politics in in Barranquilla and that power extends to the overall coast. So this wasn't an anti-incumbent, it was a very pro-incumbent environment. I think another race that is interesting for us to analyze is the race for governorship in Valle del Cauca where Dilian Francisca Toro, the leader of the U party, campaigned again, be governor, also a known quantity, also with very serious allegations of corruption, but she was endorsed not by one, but by 10 other political parties. So everybody has an opportunity to come out of this election with a win, so to speak. So a lot of parties were able to claim victories, even though they were people from their bread and butter were not on the ballot directly. And so in that sense, in Cali, there was also an anti-incumbent against Jorge Juan Ospina, but there was a pro-incumbent in the Valle del Cauca governorship that also takes us away from this. I would also say the government has... A claim to victory in these elections, in that these elections were not wholly thrown out by violent events or issues of public security incidents, right? And that, I believe, is because the government has signed on to bilateral ceasefires with criminal armed groups and different organizations. And we can criticize that a lot, but the effects of those ceasefires held during the local elections and they they prevented the elections from being much more violent as many of us had expected. And then finally, I'll, I'll talk about the polls because we focus a lot on polls here at Colombia Risk Analysis. And one of the main concerns is not that the polls were wrong, is that we didn't have ongoing polls during the entirety of the campaign, and particularly for those secondary and tertiary cities. So perhaps We had a litany of polls for Bogotá, Cali, Medellín, and Barranquilla, but very few polls, say, for cities like Cúcuta or Montería or Villavicencio, Chupal, Tunja, where there was a lot of disinformation or or, or false polls thrown out by some of the candidates themselves, obviously, to, to try to throw the election on their side. So I still think, despite us having robust, almost... Over 100 polling uh, organizations, we still don't have a lot of public data that allows us to understand public sentiment at the local level in Colombia.
0: Very interesting what you say about misinformation and disinformation. And this is certainly a topic we can't explore in the podcast, in this podcast, but I'm hoping that we will do it in future ones. And looking more broadly at Petro's ideas. So you mentioned that many of the candidates were plagued by a series of scandals. The Petro administration itself has been plagued by a series of scandals and missteps, frankly, that he has personally committed. And I think and I think we can just agree that that he's just not popular. But how about the left in general, or more importantly, the progressive ideas his administration promotes? Was this a referendum on those two? Yes.
1: I think President Petro, for a while, has been trying to soften the blow, and most of his followers have been trying to soften the blow. They were very adamant that this was not a referendum on the administration, and in fact that the administration, the Pacto Historico, had significantly grown from a handful of mayors and council members to over 70 mayors, 700 council members, 10 governors, and 38 deputies. But I think they're trying to sort of soften the blow and they're trying to put lipstick on a pig here because the majority of the country is being felt as is that this was largely an anti-government vote. And the traditional parties, the, the Liberal Party, the Conservative Party, the U Party, Cambio Radical Party, managed to have a very substantial lead, both in local elections and the principal mayoralties and governorships throughout the country and of course Petro I think is cognizant of that but he can't necessarily come out clean and admit that it was a failure or that it was a referendum against him so he basically said in a speech which was very short and read something that is not typical of him that he would work constructively with all these other mayors but as soon as that page turned Petro started tweeting <laughs> and started retweeting fraud allegations or allegations that traditional parties had bought votes etc so you know the scripted Petro is statesmanlike and the improvised Petro who's on social media platform X is very much a different story so the question is who are these local mayors going to have to work with are they going to work with a pragmatic Executor who through his cabinet is going to be able to transform Colombia and, and part of his plans for education reform or healthcare reform or total peace go directly through these local administrations. Or is it going to be a president who strikes a very confrontational tone and seeks to pigeonhole his enemies to portray them as corrupt, or party to genocide or to paramilitarism, as he has said of some of his opponents in in the past. So I do think that is very much a question we have and we'll have to explore as the presidency continues in these three years.
0: When looking at more local dynamics, for instance, in Bogotá, We know that Carlos Fernando Galán will be the next mayor, and as you mentioned, Petro's candidate Gustavo Bolívar came in third. And it was surprising because he only won 19% of the vote. And we know Bogotá was a stronghold for Petro and for more progressive ideas. And even though Galán has tried to avoid the right-left polarization... Many of his proposals, particularly his social proposals, are pretty progressive. Do you think using categories like right and left is maybe becoming obsolete when describing Colombia's politics?
1: I I, I agree with that categorization. I think in Colombia we now have 37 to 38 different political parties, depending on the day, and the ideological breakdown between them isn't very clear right? We used to come from a bipartisan, liberal, conservative dichotomy to a much more explosive, security-based dichotomy later in in the early 2000s. And now we have a hodgepodge of political parties that are much more opportunistic as it comes. With Galán, I think the issue was a lot of people wanted to prevent Gustavo Bolívar from becoming mayor. And it was a real possibility, and President Petro had very openly and unabashedly campaigned in favor of Gustavo Bolívar, promoting ideas such as undergrounding the Bogotá metro, doing seven, six or seven community councils throughout Bogotá's peripheral regions, and of course traveling to China to try and get a deal with Xi Jinping to underground a portion of the Bogotá metro. All of the things that he failed to capture the vote, and and that is you know also on account of Gustavo Liar being a very bad candidate. So I don't think Galan necessarily won. Yes, he won the election on the merits, but also on account of the alternatives being not so good and him being the most viable candidate to defeat Gustavo Liar, both in a runoff and in a first round that a lot of people voted against their first choice and voted for Galán because he was the most utilitarian candidate there was. What that tells about Bogotá's support for progressive ideas, I'm not sure yet. Bogotá is a fairly progressive city and Bogotá does look at, at some of these issues very closely. But for a lot of Bogotanos, this was about having a metro or not having a metro and Galán offered some certainties that there would be continuity with the current contract and that Bogotá's metro would be completed by 2028, something that still remains to be seen.
0: You mentioned Petro's reaction, mostly minimizing his losses, right? But there's no question that his coalition is at a minimum weakened. However, Petro still has more than half his term left to govern and ample opportunity to adjust his political strategy. Do you expect that the election results will prompt any rethinking on the president's part about how he approaches certain policy initiatives?
1: I think rational individuals and, and ordinary people would say, you know, this has to prompt the reflection. So President Petro has to change. And I don't think President Petro sees things the same way we do. I don't think that he sees this as an opportunity to reshuffle or to make changes to his agenda. I think he sees this as an opportunity of, say, it's now or never. Now I have to really press the Congress and press the local administrations hard because it's going to become more and more evident as time goes by that President Petro will not be succeeded by a left-wing president. And that will potentially erase or seek to roll back many of his initiatives. So Petro might be thinking, this is not a time to make significant concessions. This is a time to double down. And that would be very divisive for the country more generally. You know, I think people like Alvaro Uribe, uh, after winning both the Antioquia mayoralty, uh, governorship, and the Medellin mayoralty with his party, the Centro Democrático, on those two candidacies, how Uribe is going to play a role trying to, to reshape that because, of course, he has a lot to lose right now with the current trial against him. But at the same time, we need people who Petro listens to, to tell him the same story. And I'm not sure people on the left are doing so because they're coming out with guns blazing saying the corruption won, people have short memories, etc. Not a lot of self-criticism uh, about what prompted people to vote against their candidates.
0: Are there any areas of common ground between the administration and some of these newly elected officials?
1: I think in terms of social progress, infrastructure is key. Infrastructure for development, infrastructure that helps peripheral regions is going to be an area of cooperation and collaboration, intermunicipal intermunicipal transit, etc. And anything that has to do with strengthening public institutions, that is public utilities, public works projects, et cetera, that is going to bring the president and some of these mayors together. And of course, many of these are going to be financed partially or fully by the national government. So this is an area where where they will have to collaborate and hopefully, you know, on the president's terms too.
0: And how about security? Security has been an issue, of course, of rising concern, despite advancements at the negotiating table with major criminal groups, which are controversial. To what extent will the results of these elections help or hinder the government's efforts towards a new security strategy?
1: Well, I don't think it's it's that clear because local mayors and governors are not in the chain of command, militarily speaking. So although some of them campaigned on strengthening security or or punishing criminals more sternly, there's essentially nothing they can do to either direct the police or the military at them or even make the judicial system more effective. So local mayors and and governors really are spectators when it comes to security. Will they help coordinate? Yes. Will they lend their hand and their good offices to implement some of the Total peace projects, yes, but they won't necessarily determine the direction of the nation's security policies, etc. That's still concentrated on the presidency and on the defense minister.
0: Let's zoom out now, look at what these elections means for the Colombia-US relationship and for Colombia's foreign policy more broadly. Increasingly, we've seen local leaders, such as mayors and governors, playing an outsized role in international politics. And an example of this was the City Summit of the Americas early this spring. How can some of these new Colombian leaders be expected to assert themselves on the global stage? Or will they?
1: I think it's going to be difficult because, again, foreign policy, the the president has much more leeway over foreign policy than local mayors or, or governors do. So it's going to be very difficult for us to say there's a clear new foreign policy direction. I I do think local mayors and governors are an important sort of counterweight to President Petro, but they do not influence, not even one bit, the country's positions on, on the world stage. Maybe what I do think will happen is on sustainable development or renewable energy, energy transition, transportation, smart cities. Those are things that have global agendas and are implemented at the local level. They will have more protagonism, but determining the U.S.-Colombia relationship or trying to get uh, the president not to tweet as much at Israel or other adversaries that he's coming up with or how the president may have a relationship with the new president in Argentina or the new president in in Ecuador, I think that they're a little bit out of their element when it comes to making those criticisms.
0: Going then towards Chinese influence more generally and looking at Petro's recent visit to China At least from the outside, it looked that the meeting went well and that we will see greater cooperation between the PRC and Colombia. But in your opinion, how likely is it that Colombia will move away from the U.S. as a key ally and start turning to China instead?
1: Well, that's a key question. And I think the thing that will tell us much more than anything is the results of the 2024 U.S. election. Because I think Petro is extending his reach to the PRC President Duque did the same, President Santos did the same, and and before him, other presidents also visited the PRC. The PRC has a lot of very significant strategic investments in Colombia, and it could obtain many more. And so far, Petro's relationship with the Biden administration has been smoothly sailing because it's not confrontational. And that's a good thing because it maintains Colombia on the U.S.'s good Side. side However, as a result of both President Duque's endorsement of President Trump or tacit endorsement of President Trump for re-election, Colombia began losing its status as a bipartisan uh, issue. And a few bipartisan issues still exists: China, Israel, and Ukraine being some of them. But Colombia used to be one, and I think that that bipartisanship in the Colombia relationship is being lost. And if Republicans win in 2024 uh Petro might strike a much more confrontational tone and he might be looking to deepen his ties with the PRC as a hedge to anticipate that electoral outcome if it does happen
0: Sergio is there something that we did not cover or anything else that you would like to highlight or add
1: in terms of colombian domestic politics a lot of us had looked at this issue as inside baseball right as something complex that doesn't really have major ramifications on the direction of the Colombian economy or Colombia's overall political stability. These are domestic issues that you don't really need to take care of. I think now with 36 political parties, a much more interdependent and geopolitical world, Colombia's local elections begin to matter a little bit more than they used to and they continue to be volatile. And I think that that it's important for organizations like CSIS and organizations like Columbia Risk Analysis to continue looking at these issues with nuance. Subscriber support and organizational support for that is still very, very important, and we hope that it continues.
0: I hope to keep the conversation going. Sergio, thank you so much for joining us on 35 West. And we appreciate you taking the time to speak to us today.
1: Thank you so much, Juliana. I hope you have a great day. And to all your listeners out there, you too have a good day. For you, thank you for joining. Stay tuned for the next episode of 35 West.